You're listening to the Advancing Your Photography podcast. I'm your host, Mark Silver. I connect you with remarkable photographers who've mastered their craft, sharing their insight and skills so you can put them right to use. Well, good morning, afternoon, evening, wherever you guys are around the world. It's so great to have you with us. And for those of you who don't know who I am, I am Mark Silver. I'm a published photographer. I've published four books. This is Advancing Your Photography, named after the show. And I live in Carmel, California, where many great photographers lived. Ansel Adams lived about five minutes from here, and Edward Weston and his sons are in the area as well. Let me introduce you to an old friend of mine, our guest. Felix Kunz is a portrait photographer. He lives in New York City, but he was born in East Germany and raised in England. He now spends his time highlighting the grace, strength, and enthusiasm and beauty of people, as you can see in these amazing photographs as I'm scrolling through them. His recent projects include a focus on scientists, explorers, environmentalists to elevate their standing in society through photographs. His well-known The Lighting Series is an online class that has helped over 11,000 photographers become confident studio photographers, which is something we're going to be talking about, and helping them master artificial light for the first time. And Felix, it's so great to have you on Advancing Your Photography. Thanks for joining us. Absolutely, Mark. Hi, how's it going? You know, under the circumstances, it's going well. I've been doing a lot of these live streams, so I'm able to reach out no matter where people are in the world and talk about, you know, take people's minds off of the kind of unfortunate, stressful stuff that's going on and put it on photography and take a break. Creativity. Creativity, exactly. I have to tell everyone the story because we, I've known you probably for about 10 years because exactly. I, I got asked to come to Northern California to do a shoot. And I think we were friends on Facebook or something. And I would just, I used to just be like, right, who do I know in this area? And I wrote you and you were like, yeah, sure. Come by. And I remember coming over to your house and like, here we are 10 years later. It's kind of really great. Years. You know, and you gave me some tips and I, I was so green behind the ears. <laughs> That's and, good uh, yeah, it's really great to be back. It's great to have you. And, you know, 10 years ago, I'd really kind of just started the show and I kind of, you know, just figured it out. I managed to get a sponsor right away with SanDisk. I was really lucky and I started doing shows and I've learned so much since then, which is, by the way, why I ended up writing this book, because I kind of condensed everything in the videos that I'd done in the interviews. So we're going to really focus on lighting with you. But first of all, Felix, tell me, what is it that really drives you? What motivates you as a photographer? So I think for a lot of photographers, the biggest struggle you have at the end of the day, if when you get far enough into it, isn't the camera, it isn't the lights, it's what do you choose as subjects in front of the camera? Everyone's had the experience where they open a fashion magazine and they just go, who the hell took this picture and why were they hired for it? It's garbage. <laughs> However, what makes the pictures great is that these people have access to great models, great clothes, and uh, great locations through a big fashion magazine. So when you get further along in your career, what ends up happening is you get access to things and you're much more concerned with what's in front of your camera than the camera itself. You know, Richard Avedon talks about the camera just gets in the way of what he's trying to achieve. 
in the last couple of years, I've really been focusing on scientists, explorers, um, adventurers, like you mentioned, and trying to get into photographing the people that are bringing society forward, that are advancing mankind, and kind of telling a little, little tiny piece of their story and really focusing on who's in front of my subject uh, in front of my camera so I can kind of tell a story that lasts. You know, I want to make pictures that are worth more in 50 years than they are now in their social impact. That is fantastic. And one of the things we've talked about on this show a lot is that you really can change the world with a photograph and many people have. Absolutely. And, yeah. And by capturing those incredible people, you have brought them, you know, it's, it is something that lasts forever. So yeah. that's fantastic. So a question that I always ask is, what are the key things that you use every time you pick up a camera or even before you pick up one? And that can include, obviously include lighting as well. So I think when I started, it's a bit of a, a long winded answer, but I used to shoot a lot of concert photography and forget the images back in the day and I'd go to music, to concerts and you get kind of penned into a press pit with 20 other photographers and you're allowed to photograph during the first three songs that an artist performs. Oh, yeah. And then you're all taking the same picture. And uh, I'm like an amateur economist. So um, if you look at it from an economics perspective, <laughs> when you have 20 people photographing from, ex from a you know, five by five box, you're going to get 20 of the same pictures. True. So that's just silly. I mean, there's people who do this in a very good way, but then I wasn't even the best of the 20. So what's the point at some point? Yeah. So I, I started really looking for portrait subjects because I felt like people were the most diverse subject to photograph in the world. I um, agree. It's a bit of a problem now during the lockdowns. But if you send a thousand photographers to photograph one person, they could come away with thousand different pictures that each tell a different story about that person. Right. And because people are so multifaceted, you can get so many different results from photographing the same person over and over. So the first thing I really look for is always going to be from that economics perspective. Is this picture that I'm going to take going to move the needle for me personally? Is it going to move the needle for anybody else? Is this an interesting subject that I want to photograph or that someone else wants to see? You know, that's kind of like step zero. Yeah, that and totally then, makes sense. Because you're, yeah. you're finding what, it, what catches your eye, right? First of all. Right. And it's a really hard thing because the people have asked me a lot, how do you develop a photographic style? And it's a really hard question to answer until I realized you just need to shoot a lot. When you get to that stage where you're shooting so much either personal work or commissions that you don't get to choose what you're shooting you just have to you're just trying to carry on each day going from one thing from one flight to this place that is when you really find out what your style is because you don't have a choice but to do just what comes from the heart so and true. but people obviously also <laughs> want to know probably what i do when i'm actually setting up a photograph because all of that is very philosophical yes um, let's hear about those nuts and bolts for a minute what is it that you do like how do you approach so, a shoot how do I approach a shoot? So the first thing is I'm always going to be hoping, for, if I'm in the studio, I'm going to make sure I have very little ambient light or just enough ambient light to get focus. Okay. Um, because I want to, so when I take that, I always take a test frame. When I get into the studio, I set the camera usually at uh, aperture 5.6. My shutter speed is going to be like 180 and my ISO is going to be 200. And I'm going to take a test shot and I'm just going to see how much ambient light is there in the studio? You know, that's like people write me and they ask, we have this online community called Lighting with Felix Kunz on Facebook. It's a group. And a lot of people ask like, 
oh, I don't know. I took a picture with artificial light and I don't know how much ambient light. So the light that's already there from the sun or whatever is in yeah. my picture. And I said, well, just take a photograph with the same settings of your camera without your flash firing or without any, yeah, any of the light that you intend to be on the subject and see if that's black or barely visible, then you're in a good place. So in the studio, right. that's what I do. And it's a really easy tip. You want to with, you know, I like kind of the way I teach also is take it one step at a time. So if you right. arrive in the studio and you're setting up a light, you want to make sure that you have a blank slate. So set your camera at 5.6 ISO 100 or 200, depending on what you, what your camera's native ISO yeah. is. And then my shutter speed is usually at 180th of a second. And if I can get a black frame at those settings, I'm good to now set up my lights. I don't do nice. anything until I have that. Okay. So if you have a lot of sun beaming into a studio, for example, you're going to have a lot of light on your subject that you can't control. Right. You know, so you want to maybe block that off or start like that. So that's a really clean slate. That's great. And then when I arrive at the studio, so what I tell photographers, so we have all lighting classes online, usually with one light, I shoot very rarely with just one light unless I'm on location. But what I like to tell photographers is that once you've got a light set up, the instinct is just to point that light directly at your subject and take a picture. And I know 99% of people who try this in the studio immediately become discouraged because it will look just absolutely <laughs> atrocious. So, I mean, there's a lot we can get into with lighting, but the biggest tip I have is the solution out of that is get, get yourself out of the mindset of just pointing the light directly at your subject and realize that the light is in a 360 degree three-dimensional space. So it can move in any which way. Right. And the exercise for anyone that wants to learn lighting, they would not need to take a class. They would not need to do anything else is set up a light, get your subject and put them in one place where they're looking at the camera, get a friend, sister, husband, wife, someone dog. who's willing to sit there. Dog is tricky because I don't yeah, yeah, that's true. the fur absorbs all the, fab, uh, the color, you know? Yeah. And if you were to just take the light and move it, inch by inch in all different places all around the subject and just see what the differences are as you do it, right? Every time you take a picture, you can see the difference. Then you could angle it up higher, angle it down lower, bring it up higher. There is an infinite amount of positions that a light can be. And people tend to get stuck in pointing it directly at the subject. And if you did that, yeah. like, it's a great exercise. That is down. really good. You know, Felix, there's a book called Lighting for Television and Motion Picture. I don't know if you've seen yes, it. Yes, I've heard of this. Quite technical. But in yeah. that book, he makes that same point. You have a sphere. You move the light within that. You know, you can move it anywhere within that sphere. And you should watch what's going on. And that's yeah. the most obvious thing about light is look at it, right? I mean, yeah. but see what, see what it's doing. Exactly. But, you know, I have to say that when I was learning, people were like, oh, you should just be able to see the light. And I realized I didn't know what I was looking for. Oh, yeah. OK. So I was like, well, what is good light? And that is something you can't necessarily teach. But mm. doing an exercise like that is you start to see like what the differences are. I do this. I go on light tests with my friends and, you know, other photographers. And we'll just do this in the studio. Even when we when I buy a new light that has a different shape, I'll try it out the same way to learn it. And then I don't necessarily know which look I'm going for, but I find myself referring back to that test over and over again. Ah, how did we achieve that certain look? Yeah. And you kind of build this vocabulary of what lighting is. And the great thing about that 
is you don't need to become a mathematician or, you know, anointed by God to be a lightning <laughs> master to try that out. And you'll really? learn so much. Yeah. If you can't answer this, this is fine. But we were chatting beforehand. And after you visited me in 2010, you had a very amazing internship with Annie Leibowitz. And, you know, if you can't talk about it, that's fine. I went to art school with her to the San Francisco Art Institute. So we, she was a couple of years ahead of me and she graduated and immediately went to work for the Rolling Stone magazine, which had mm -hmm. just begun. So she was one of the very early photographers. And of course, that launched her career. And, you know, she just went on from there. But, you know, I've never been on a shoot with her. My son actually has been. He She came to his company to photograph. And he said the first 20 minutes, she just walked around with no camera, just looking at people and sets and that sort of thing. But does it become like with her, is it more or less seems to be an instinctive thing, how she sets up her lighting? Or is it you know, is there a formula or, is it, you know, you obviously learn some things from her. And if you can't talk about it, that's I think, fine. I think without going into direct kind of experiences, I think what she's done is really figured out for herself what kind of things she likes. Right. You know, and we talked about that, like, how do you kind of end up developing your style? And if like the story you say, if she's arriving somewhere and walks around for 20 minutes, she's looking for, right, where is a picture that I would like? Right. You know, and this is the, it's actually a really good, again, we're going into the philosophical thing. I know that people try to like copy her look and try to do what she's doing, but because they don't necessarily share all the same interests and don't necessarily, like she's just going with her gut on it. Yeah. She knows, probably knows what things will work well and then says, oh, the light's actually interesting over here. We could make an interesting image. Right. But if you try to copy it directly, it, it doesn't really work because you're, She's doing that from where she is at. You exactly. Know? No, that's a very yeah, good point. And being true to yourself yeah. is obviously a key point because otherwise it's not your voice anymore. You're trying to be yeah. like somebody else. And we or, have to remember why we get into photography in the first place. It's, you know, it's an artistic pursuit. A lot of people, I came from a different career into photography. And for me, it was about freedom and it was about creativity and it was about um, communicating more with the world, having more to put out there for people to see of how I see the world. And that's been as much beneficial to me as any as anyone that sees the work I do or any of my clients, because communication is can be difficult, you know, and photography is essentially communication. And uh, it kind of solves a problem of communicating how you see the world. And if you forget that, then we're getting a, a lost in technicality and things like that. And we have to be true to kind of the things we're interested in. True. So one thing is, and we've talked about this, during the lockdown, you should be photographing your own area, your own environment. If you can't go outside, okay, you're limited to your house or your apartment. If you can go outside, take some photographs around you. So Felix, let's dive into some of your images. You gave me an, a, a great selection and maybe we can talk before about we, them. Yeah, go ahead. Mark, before we do that, I actually, you brought up something really good. So people who've, who are learning studio lighting with me, this is like, I'm giving them the challenge of uh, doing that setup in the studio. Like put the one light if you have it and do it, put it in different places and kind of see. And I guide them through that. But it is so hard. And I pointed this out to a couple of my friends recently. I'm in New York City, right? I moved here eight years ago. And when I go outside, New York City is almost plaza. It's like, okay, I've seen exactly. it a thousand times. But if I send those pictures to someone in Brazil or Australia, they're like, oh my God, it's New York. 
And every place in the world has that quality. I'm always interested in like, oh my God, you live in Amsterdam. Uh, I've never been there, but I'd love to see pictures of what life is there, what life is like there. And that's a, that's a viewpoint to adopt because anyone's life is so everyday to them. But as photographers, putting that stuff out is interesting to other cultures. Absolutely. You know, you look at Henry Cartier-Bresson, who is one of my, you know, heroes of photography. You look at his photographs and they're just amazing, right? And you think, wow, I wish I could take photographs like that. But you have to realize at the time he was capturing those images, that was just normal life. He lived in Paris. He lived in Paris. He came to New York. But that was just, you know, what everybody was apparently doing. It didn't seem unique to them. But he found those unique images. And it's true. Every one of us can find them in our own backyard, literally. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so let's dive into some of your your images. The first one I have open here are the guys in Mongolia. Tell us about this. Tell us about the lighting and what was going on here. So I've been working with an organization called the Explorers Club for about six years now. And I photograph uh, their annual dinner. Mm-hmm. in New York City, where you have kind of the glitterati of the world of exploration. The Explorers Club is literally what it sounds like. It's a club of explorers. And Elon Musk has spoken at their annual dinner. Jeff Bezos has spoken at their annual dinner. We've had Richard Branson, Jade Goodall, Jane Goodall, um, everyone you can imagine. And for them, I also will show another image um, that I photographed at that dinner as well. But through that work, and because I'm so interested in exploration and these kind of subjects, I got to go on an Explorers Club expedition to Mongolia with a group of geologists from Appalachian State University and a team of Mongolian geologists to study a mass extinction that happened about 365 million years ago and how a mass extinction back then when plants were just becoming a thing, trees were just becoming a thing, has impacts, it has parallels to what we're seeing now with climate change in the modern day. So this is the team of one of the teams that are doing uh, mapping on site. We were, just to give you an idea of how remote we were, we, I flew from New York to Beijing, 14 hours. Then I flew to Ulaanbaatar, the capital of Mongolia. Then I took a several hour flight to the western part of Mongolia. And you really start to be like so far away from the sea. You're in the middle of that giant Asian continent. And then we drove nine hours on paved roads. And then about six hours off-road to get to this Whoa. location where we could <laughs> study this perfect um, rock formations. And I got to spend, there was about 21 people on this expedition, and I got to spend about three weeks. And it gives me an opportunity to take lots of pictures and kind of take the pressure off and try to get something that's very genuine. So they right. were studying this particular rock outcrop. And it was really difficult because lighting-wise, you have the sun was beating down all day so that's why i've got them next to this kind of rock face so that they can be a little bit in shadow yeah and then you've got hard shadows where the clouds are and in between kind of rock uh like between the hills it gets really shadowy so i had a day with a bit of cloud i just had a very small actually this exact ellen chrome deep dish rotolux on the right of this image just lighting and i can I show it in um, my, one, my, one of my location lighting class. You can kind of cascade the light across a group just to give it a little bit of a highlight. So uh-huh. if you look closely at the faces, you have that little bit of directionality. Yes, I could see that. Of the lighting. That was going to be my yeah. question. And that's, I didn't, 
Do you have a little generator that you brought with you, or how do you how do you power? No, it? I, no, I have um, it's an Ellen Chrome battery powered light called the okay. ELP five hundred, which cool. is just I love it. I use it in the studio and location, and it lasts forever. You know, we have lithium ion batteries, so it's really light, okay. and um, I have my assistant hand hold it on like a modified light stand. It's super light setup, so we can run around the mountains with it really nicely. So, what time of day was this, Felix? I would say this is six p.m. And the okay. sun used to set around 8. Okay. Maybe, actually, no, 6 p.m. would be dinner time, about 5.30, I would say. Okay, so you're not then, quite in the golden hour yet, but you're, the sun isn't directly overhead either. Yeah, and golden hour gets tricky because it can really feel disingenuous if you, I don't know, I like this kind of feeling where it looks very natural. Yes, indeed. You know, it's also a bit geeky, like, oh, not waiting for the sun to be completely low and getting sure. it right is like such a great moment for a photographer. Exactly. Yeah. Let's let's go to the next one. I think in the same series, this is yes. uh, this is well. These are the two little kids with the. Am I in the right? Still the same yeah. series. Okay, with the camel. Yeah. Yeah. So that's if you kind of we were in this very remote part of the Altai Gobi. So that's where the Altai Mountains and the Gobi Desert meet. And then one day, one of the drivers just was like, "Hey, come with me." And we went up into the hills, and I thought there was no one around. You know, we was we were fairly close to the Chinese border. I thought there was no one around. And then we drove up into the mountains and there was a nomad family living there in Gurs, you know, these Mongolian like tent-like structures. Yeah. And um, they had, they were moving. So they were packing their camels with all their belongings and they were going on a several day voyage to move to a different location. So I stole a camel and asked <laughs> if I could photograph the kids. And it's a picture that their facial expression is just kind of like, what are we doing here? Right. But also, I love that they just have this, they live in the mountains and that's written on their faces. That is And cool. again, lighting wise, I grew up in England and you always have overcast. And then you get like those panda eyes where the brow is casting a little bit of a shadow on the eyes. Right. And that is how I got into artificial lighting because I just wanted to pop a little bit of light and just pretend that there was a bit of sunshine <laughs> to get flattering faces you know for my normal portrait subjects who are not models right. and um again we did the same thing here so you can see in their faces it looks natural but i've just popped a little bit of light to make the eye go to the face i see that you know it's amazing also about this photograph it could be a hundred years ago or 500 years ago, except for what the little boy is wearing, a kind of a down yeah. jacket there. But, yeah. you know, it's sort of a timeless moment, even in spite of that. They could have been 500 years ago with the camel. It's very cool. This is a well-known figure. This is Dr. Mike. Dr. Mike. And currently he's doing a lot of, he's a, he's a real doctor. He practices in New Jersey. And he's been talking a lot about COVID-19 and kind of trying to spread stop the spread of dis misinformation. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to show this picture because I give photographers the tip, you know, we talked about like finding what you're interested in and yeah. doing personal work. So work that you do not for money that you can show to clients that then go, oh, I would love to hire you for this. And doing personal work, clients have a hard time choosing a photographer. And if you've ever hired a plumber or you know, anyone, any tradesperson, you want to know that they can do the job. So yes. for photographers, it's the same thing. How if I'm the client and I want to hire somebody, I need to see that the photographer has done the work that I want them to hire them for. 
So no one's going to hire you for work you've never shot. Right. So I got asked to photograph Dr. Mike for Stand Up to Cancer. It's a, char a cancer charity. And they asked me to shoot him on white so that they could do a cutout for their social media. And I was like, okay, of course I can shoot on white, but it's very boring. It's not going into my portfolio. Yeah. So we did the shoot on white and we were already packing up and I got on really well with Mike. He's a great guy, but it was my first ever shoot. And then I just was like, I want to do something that is more me. I want to do something for him. You know, just do, he's a doctor doing good things. Let me make a picture that is more my style. And I brought this backdrop and I set it up. And if you just peek at the edges, you can sort of see he's in the hospital oh, uh, yes. where he works. We weren't in the room where he works. We weren't allowed to go into patient areas because of yeah. confidentiality, of course. So I didn't want to make a picture in the hospital directly. But we can have a little hint of something going on in the background. And then I, I lit it the way that I would light it. And I let a little bit of the art, the ambient light, the light that's already around. I was going to say, you let the, it's always tricky with fluorescent lights. And you have the fluorescent light behind him. Of course, very little of that. Well, I don't know. Was there fluorescent light also overhead as well? Yeah. Um, so I'm not, I don't recall, but obviously there's a fluorescent light right above right? the top of the frame. Yeah. So with fluorescent light, I bring my shutter down to quite slow, like 190th or 160th of a second. And that's because fluorescent light flickers yeah. and the camera will pick up the flicker and it can look really horrible. Like your white balance jumps between the two flickers that the fluorescent light does. Uh -huh. So if you leave your shutter open long enough, you catch both flickers in one exposure. Right. Good so I had to ask him to hold still and I had to hold still. So I took this picture and then we parted ways and then it took me ages to retouch it because I had to deliver the, the pictures on white right away to the client. And this was personal work just for me. But once I did, Dr. Mike on the spot hired me and I've done 10 shoots for him since then. And he's become one of my absolute best clients and he's a fantastic person. That is so I included this picture because that is the key. Anyone that's trying to get work, you've got to solve two problems. Getting agents, doing ads, blah, blah, blah. It's all nonsense until you figure out what you are interested in and start photographing that. And the thing is, when you have a subject that you're interested in, whether it's animals or, you know, elephant conservation or environmentalism or scientists, you will be better at photographing that than someone who's not interested, who's technically very proficient because you know something about the subject. If you can solve that, then start photographing the people in the industry that you want to get into, and you will, by word of mouth, get hired. Boy, that's an incredible tip, Felix. Pay attention to that, you guys. I mean, that he, what he said is priceless, and that's, that's something that we're going to underscore somewhere in a separate issue or something, because th these are really important points. Awesome. So the next one we have here is uh, the guy on the ship holding the rope and hair blowing around. Very interesting. It's another example of I went and through the Explorers Club, I met the CEO of a company that has a boat, a wooden kind of rebuilt Viking boat, rebuilt to original specifications that travels around and teaches kids. Now they're doing the East Coast of the United States, teaches people about seafaring. And it's like kind of an experience. And I was like, I have to photograph on this boat. So again, you know, I've been working in this field, doing personal work where I meet these kind of people. And because I've got connections and I've got images in that field, when I approached the CEO, can I please photograph on your boat? It was like, of course, I already heard about you. I know your work. 
you know, it was just like, of course you can come. And then I shot on this boat just for the sake of it, just because I really wanted to photograph these people. And I knew that the subjects would be interesting. And then I included it here in our little slideshow because the lighting works really well. So if you look, we were on a beautiful sunny day yep. in the New York Harbor. You can see the Brooklyn Bridge in the background. Oh yeah. And I placed my subject. This is a sailboat. So we have this huge benefit. I placed him in the, si in the shade of the sailboat. And then my artificial light came from exactly the same direction as the sun. When I look at this picture, it feels artificially lit, but at the same time, it doesn't feel like the light source is in the wrong place. Right. You know, it still has that. So when I'm shooting on location, I generally try to shoot in the direction that is with the sun rather than opposite, because that's how you make it feel natural. Uh -huh. So I put him in the shade, added my light source, and then um, compositionally, I think this image has strength and... Um, well, you have so many things going for it. You've got that diagonal line, which gives it vitality and, you you know, the wind blowing his hair. It's from a compositional standpoint, that's fantastic. Were you using the same lighting setup as for your artificial light? What, as you, what you described in Mon Mongolia, that portable? Yeah, exactly. Actually, okay. I used a Fotex soft lighter, but the same Elenchrom battery powered light so that okay. I could get on the boat. And we were so lucky that day. There was hardly any wind. And even though like some just blew into his hair and the sea was fairly calm because <laughs> I just, I'm like this brain <laughs> idiot sometimes like, yeah, let's just go on a boat with some lights, heavy, sure. big lights and sure. not thinking about that. The wind could blow us into the water at any moment or, <laughs> you know, oh, lose a light overboard. Uh, just was lucky. <laughs> By the way, I think we'll put some links to your, your gear just because we're all going to want to check that out. We'll put those in the description later on because yeah. that's, that's always interesting to look at what you're actually using here. Okay, the, yeah. nec the next one, phenomenal photograph of the surviving astronauts. And so this, is, um, this is really something. Gone. Yeah, no, it's just, I love the socks. I just, is that, now who is that with the beard and the, and the two different, the red, white, and blue socks or the red, white, to, and stripes? If you had to guess at the most loud outspoken astronaut that's ever lived it's buzz aldrin it's buzz so of course, yeah, i thought so it's buzz aldrin yeah and um jim lovell was with him right on the on apollo 11 when they went to the moon i photographed jim lovell the year before this so this picture is eight of the 11 surviving apollo astronauts that exist so i photographed nine as of 2019 of the surviving apollo astronauts that are on the planet through the explorers club now this picture went absolutely viral all over the place. But what I love about it is it's that the lighting class I made called the lighting series was made in conjunction with a photographer called Sue Bryce. And right. I've learned photographers will know who Sue Bryce is. And something that Sue always says, and she has a similar kind of thing about personal work is serve your community, give your community something, keep giving and you'll get something back. And so when I started photographing the Explorers Club annual dinner, they have it in different venues around New York City. The first year I did it was at the Museum of Natural History. I photographed Neil deGrasse Tyson. He was a guest speaker at that time. I was, I had my head in my hands because it was something that I was doing for the club, but it was costing me a fair amount of money to bring all the equipment there, to hire crew, to do the lighting, to do the backdrops. But it was a trust relationship I built with the Explorers Club. And over the years, each year, I kind of do a bigger production and I give the images that I photograph to the club to use freely as a way to serve that community. And it's that conversation that I had with myself with, how do I 
my career is never going to be as big as Buzz Aldrin. My career is never going to be as big as no photographers is. And I'm completely okay with that. But what I can do is push power to those people through what I do. So Fantastic. the club, you know, had all these astronauts at their annual dinner. And as you can imagine, it was absolute mayhem. They were so in demand. A riot. <laughs> yes. And then 1,800 people at this dinner. And I'm tucked away. It was at the Marriott on Times Square. I'm tucked away in a little corner where I've squeezed in a photo booth. And I worked with, it was a, quite a Herculean effort to get to photograph all of these guys. I will say this is a composite because oh, it was just, it? they were all there yeah. at the same time. But getting them all into the studio at the same time, it was like such a moment of, wow, this is what five years of hard work gets you. You know, access is the biggest challenge that a photographer has at some point. So true. So let me ask you about that. Okay, so how many frames are we looking at here? I think it's four. Okay. And you, so you had to place them with that, obviously place them with that in mind. If you're really eagle-eyed, you can, and I, I like to be honest about these things. Yeah. You can see that it's a composite because it's the same black stool in three of the images. Uh-huh. And three of the people are sitting on the same black stool. But that would but, be only you would know that because it could be yeah. three similar stools. Yeah. But I see, yeah. now I see it, right? Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Originally in my head, when we were prepping, I was like, okay, we're going to have them all there and I'm going to make it as quick as possible for a group picture and then we'll take the picture. Easy peasy. So then three of them showed up. I had them waiting on the side of the set while I photographed other people because I do like 120 portraits on that night. And then I was like, I have these Apollo astronauts who are being so polite, just sitting there waiting for the other guys to arrive. I can't, this can't happen, you know? They, this is disrespectful at some point. So I was like, right, I'm going to switch to composite mode. So I just moved back so I could get one frame of the whole set. So if you imagine my camera frame is this whole picture. Yeah. And I marked a spot on the floor where I would stand. And then I set my camera, I think, to 35 millimeters on my 24 to 70 mil lens. Okay. I made sure I remembered the settings because this is all happening like bap, 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 real yeah. quick. And then I squatted down just a tiny bit. And then I remembered how I'd squatted down. Because there was no way I was going to set up a tripod. Yeah. Because then I'm going say. to photographing other people again. Right. You know what I'm saying? And so throughout the five-hour night when I'm photographing lots and lots of portraits and someone coming in every three minutes, I just had to remember sort of where I was. That's pretty and, amazing um, right there. Yeah. And you'd think it wouldn't work, but every time we took one of the groups, so we had like three people that we photographed together and then we'd have you know another couple turn up. I would have someone put those two images together in Photoshop. And so we built it bit by bit as every person turned up. And then you get a composition that works. And that's how I kind of built that setup. But I didn't, I can't even believe that it worked out. Well, I'll tell you that I think the trickiest part of that is the floor because you had to line those, you had to get those lines just right. Everything yeah, else had to kind of go against the floor, right? I mean, I imagine. And the walls. Yeah. And- I don't know. We marked the spot I was standing with tape because the, the key to a good composite is if you had a tripod and you didn't move the tripod, it's almost it, flawless. Exactly. That's the easy but way. I, but you're doing it without a tripod, which really amazes me. Yeah. I, I Honestly, Mark, it was just one of those. I think it was just mind power somehow. Like you got to make it go right. I just Here started, you are. <laughs> I got to make it go right. I, I have so much trouble when I try to do this because... And I do composites not because I can't shoot a group. If I had them all there, it would have been easier. 
but because sometimes you don't have everyone available at the same time. Yeah. If you get into shooting celebrities, you're going to have that problem. And, and I think that's I, a tribute to your flexibility because, you know, in the world of composites, you know, what's the first lesson? Put it on a tripod. You couldn't do yeah. that. So you had to be no. flexible, but also incredibly precise about it as well. So bravo. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's, it's, I still don't know how it worked. As far as the lighting, what, what were you working with there? You already had the lighting already set up. so Yeah, so I set up the lighting for the Explorers Club shoot, and I, it's a, sort of a modification of my signature light, it's called, and it's a two-light setup. And the way I kind of teach lighting is we l do lighting by layers. If you look at the shadows on the side of their faces, it's actually not a dark shadow. Right. So you know some light is hitting on that side as well. Yeah. So I have a layer of light that's just filling that. And then I have another light which is casting kind of the directionality of the light so you can see that the light is coming from my left camera left on them to give it a little bit of a feel like oh the light's coming from somewhere so in my class the lighting series i kind of talk about that and the reason it's been so successful for photographers is because it's the one way that makes it click for them again i don't go into like mathematics i don't use difficult words you know we're not expecting you to be a god of light already to just right. learn how to do good studio lighting because it's actually so much more simple than people make it out to be. Can you share your lighting ratios? I don't do ratios. Uh -huh. <laughs> it's a trick question. I love it. And when I used to work for photographers, I found this out. I thought, oh, what's the ratio that gives your light that look? And they're like, I don't have a ratio. Yeah. And then I realized, oh, it's not the ratio is just that they respond to what they're looking for, their taste, and that ends up kind of being in the same place instead of going. So they're going at it from the creative side instead of the technical side. Right. Because when you get lost in the technical side, you get lost. And you just geek you know? out. Can you define yeah. what a ratio is in case everybody doesn't understand that? So some people would set up one light at full power and another light at another ratio so they would put the other light at half power in this position and so imagine you have a studio where you need to create the same look over and over and over and over again right right then you would definitely need to know right i have one light in exactly this spot i have one light in exactly this spot and i know exactly the power of this one and i know exactly the power of that one you would end up with a ratio gotcha right? so those but are the mathematics I'm, that you skip exactly and it, yeah. it's we don't skip them because you can work those things out for yourself, but it is absolutely possible to go, right, I want a little bit of fill on my shadows, and I want a light that gives it a little bit of direction like we saw with the astronaut picture. Yeah, You can literally walk over to those lights and turn them up or turn them down if they're too bright or too dark. In digital photography, we have that benefit. Yes, and you that's do what that we do. Test. Yeah. And I assume you're talking about the astronaut photograph. Was there one key light that you're using on this one? So I call the light that gives it direction, I call that the kicker. Okay. Because what I do in my signature light setup is give a broad wash of light and then add just a little bit of a kicker light to give it direction. And okay. if you, and it's, it comes from if you were to be in a forest or any situation where the natural light is really beautiful, you're going to like on a beach, when you have like soft light on the beach, it's filled in yes. from the reflections coming off the water. So you have a broad wash of light and then the sun adds a bit of direction. So I try gotcha. to, that's how I get natural light. And it's so, so, so simple. Leaf shutter versus focal plane shutter versus global shutter. What impact on studio portrait 
what is your opinion? We're getting into I know we're getting some, speed. some real geeky things, but <laughs> real geeky things. Are um, you doing anything unusual or different than when you're using strobes? The strobe fires for like one twenty thousandth of a second, right. a really short amount of time. Your uh, shutter speed might be one hundred and eightieth of a second, so it's open for just the fraction of a second. And in that fraction of a second, you also need the flash to fire at the right time. And when, so if you imagine you're in a, in a cave, there's no light at all, none. You could have your uh, shutter open for a thousand years and you would not get a single photon of light. Right. right? If you had a flash, you could fire it at any time in that thousand years, right? Anytime and you would get, that's the only photons of light that would happen. Now, right. when we bring the shutter speed to be really short, we need to, there's technical things that happen in the camera with how it communicates to the flash that makes sure those two things happen at the same time. That's called sync speed. Right. Okay. So I generally set my camera at 180th of a second because that's what I know from the manufacturer. And depending on what kind of shutter you have, that's different by camera and depending on what lights and triggers you're using also. And I have a question for you. So you were mentioning, what is your go-to lens? Is it the 24 to 70, 105? What do you... What's yeah, the... I use the 2470 2.8 from Nikon. Yeah. It is important for me to zoom with my feet. So it's very yes. easy if I'm, too, if I'm too close to the subject to just zoom out. And then I go and look at the images afterwards and I'm like, oh my God, they look like fisheye, not very flattering. So when I learned, my favorite lens was the 50 millimeter 1.4. It's a fixed lens. It's called the Nifty 50. Yeah. You can't zoom it. So you have to zoom with your feet, which means you have to walk away if you're too close to the subject. It's a really good exercise before you move on to zoom lenses. Do you have one right there? Well, it is. It's not a one four, but you know, when I went to the San Francisco Art Institute and I did talk to Annie about this, this was the go-to camera. It's a Leica M2. Yeah. We, we all used it because our mentor, Henry Cartier-Bresson, used it. And this one has a, a cool retractable lens. But it's, oh, wow. It's, which makes it, you know, compact, but it's a 50 and it's 2.0. It's not a, a 1.4, but you're yeah. right. We all learned to zoom with our feet. There was no other way. If you were too far yeah. back, you had to step forward. And this is really good advice in our digital, you know, zoom era to not mm -hmm. forget. It ha it's more than just a focal length. It's where you are in relation to your subject as well, which is yeah something to remember. Yeah. So Anyone starting out, you should just go with the 50 millimeter. Once you've got that drilled in that you move with your feet, you can go to the 24 to 70, which is what I use now. Yeah. And the Nikon 24 to 70, I think, is one of the sharpest lenses on the market. And it's a pretty amazing I absolutely lens. love it. And you have, are you using the Z6 there? Is that what you've got? That's the Z7, yeah. Z7, okay, because you're shooting Z7. video with it. You can shoot video so with it, inches. Yeah. yeah, it's been a hard transition for me because I, I, Nikon had lent it to me at the beginning of 2019 to use for a project in Egypt and South Africa. And I kind of liked it, but I ultimately, you know, it was a loner, so I gave it back to them and I didn't buy one. And then when I finally got around to actually looking at the images in detail that I'd shot on those trips, I went out and bought a Z7 because the images were fantastic. Like yeah. just, there's something about that sensor. Bob Holmes, who's on our show as a regular, loves his, he uses both the Z6 and the Z7. He loves them. He's a Nikon shooter going mm -hmm. way back. And so he can also use all his old uh, Nikon lenses as well. Yeah. You know, these gla this glass never goes out of date. It doesn't change. No, it technology. doesn't. And let me tell you a little story. <laughs> I was shooting last month in South Africa 
And as I, I'm so careless with my equipment, honestly, I had this set up with the FTZ adapter and this lens, and I dropped the camera off the table and it just smashed into two pieces. So luckily, uh, Cape Town has a great photo store, so I had it replaced within half an hour. But uh, I learned that Nikon actually makes these lenses built like tanks. The cameras are built like tanks and the adapter is not quite a tank. And I think they did that on purpose because if you drop it, you'd rather smash the cheap adapter yeah, than your lenses. So true. it's a tank. It is a tank. What's your opinion of the amount of Photoshop that is done on portraits these days that turns someone into a plastic doll? I see a lot of that in publications these days. Why do editors accept that? So if you think about um, fashion photography is about the clothes. So you have a lot more leeway where you can go with what you're doing with the model skin. I think that's a, it's a different conversation absolutely to when you're doing a portrait where you're trying to be really representative. A model going into a shoot knows that they're not necessarily going to be represented about who they are, but it's about let's pick the best pictures that serve the clothes. So that's a little bit of a different conversation. I, you know, there's a lot of debate about liquefying, which I think also should be used absolutely sparingly. And for beauty campaigns, it's disingenuous to pretend that your makeup is making the person look completely flawless when it's actually photoshopping. So each one has its own nuance. But in portrait photography, I have a much uh, less heavy handed editing approach than some because I want my, my clients often, my subjects often are my clients or the people who will make the creative choice. So I need them to feel like they look like themselves, but not be, you know, also be flattered. So my policy is when I interacted with them, they looked a certain way, whether they looked fresh or young or whatever. And then the camera being a physical object doesn't have that kind of interpersonal connection and can make someone look a little bit harsher than what you remember seeing them and what anyone else would see when they interact with that person. So that's the place I go to is what is every interaction of myself and that person been and how did they look to me? That's how far I'll go in Photoshop. That's really good advice. Felix, we're going to wrap up here in a second, but how can Oh my God, people... that went by so quick. I know. It's amazing. It's almost been an hour. Incredible. We could do this for 10 hours and we will have you back on. We're going to, we have okay. a lot more to talk about, but we how do. can people find out about your lighting series and what, what, what should they do at this point to improve well, their lighting? Will we be able to put the link in the bottom as well? Absolutely. So my studio class is thelightingseries.com. And we have a promo code for 20% off during the lockdown, which I'm not promoting public broadly because if anyone wants it, they can use it. It's Felix20 at checkout. And then I have a location class. So that's for when you go on um, outside, anywhere outside the studio. It's called thelocationseries.com. And that's also... Felix 20 is the promo code for that. And Mark, we were talking about equipment and I have equipment lists also, which I'll give you the link right after. Brilliant. I want that. And uh, we can use that and put that in the description as well. Fantastic. Well, Felix, this has been amazing. Is there any final tip you want to leave our viewers with to help them elevate their photography, advance their photography or their lighting? I think if everyone does that little exercise about finding the intersection between what they're interested in and photography. Mm-hmm. And I gave this challenge at a talk that I did for phase one. And the lady was like, I'm interested in elephants. So how is that going to apply to my portrait photography? I really love elephants. And I said, what do you love about elephants? She goes, well, their grace and their beauty. And I said, there you go. Find that in your portrait subject. That is you know, really it's that kind advice. of 
yeah, it's that kind of conversation. And the bio you read out at the beginning has like uh, grace, beauty, and fortitude, I think is the three things that I try to find in people. Yeah. And that's just what I'm interested in. And that's a really, really, really key thing. And if you cannot find it right away, it's okay. You know, that it's a hard thing to find. But what I love about being a photographer is that I can go into different fields. So I got to go on a geologic expedition to Mongolia. I don't want to spend the time getting a PhD in geology, but I love the subject enough to spend three weeks on on site. And that's a gift as a photographer. That is fantastic. I agree with you. It allows you that to, and I say this on my show, to, you know, you get this inside look at people's lives that you never would have yeah. had otherwise. And that's the fascinating yeah. thing about it. Felix, thank you again. We will have you back and your generosity is fantastic. We'll uh, definitely put all these uh, items in the show notes. Thanks again. Oh, wonderful. Enjoy. Thank you, Mark. It's been very fun. Fantastic. Take care. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today on Advancing Your Photography. If there's anything you wanted to see from today's episode, you can find the video version of this show on our YouTube channel, Advancing Your Photography. You can also find the show notes on our website, silverstudios.com forward slash podcast. Please rate and leave a review, subscribe, and be sure to share with your friends. And until next time, remember to get out and capture your own images of life.